working through Luke's Gospel, as you know, and we've got to Luke uh, chapter 20, and uh, I'll just find it now, verse 27. So this is an, another encounter that Jesus is having with some of the religious people of the day. Um, and I will read what it says. <coughs> there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you've spoken well. But they no longer dared to ask him any question. So apparently, about half of the world's population uh, believe that there is some kind of life after death. Some people believe that our spirits are kind of floating around somewhere, and other people believe that our spirits are in a physical body like the one we, we have now. And so when uh, Jesus is talking about the resurrection, he is talking about a life after death where our spirits are in a physical body that is raised up. Luke mentions that the Sadducees who come to Jesus with this question deny that there is a resurrection. In fact, they deny that there's any life after death. The, the Sadducees believed in God, but they also believed in life before death. Uh, they believed in money and prosperity and position and pleasure, and uh, they saw winning arguments as, as a virtue. So they were all about the here and now. They thought when you're dead, you're dead and so on, and, and a lot of the thinking that came into religion at the time from, from, from the Greeks, um, very logical, very scientific. Yeah, when your body dies, it, it dies, it perishes, it, it, it dissolves, it goes back to the dust. You know, why would anybody think that you would raise up uh, when, when you're dead? Um, 
so the Sadducees are posing a question, but they're posing a scenario where they think that Jesus is going to get caught up. It's going to be a bit difficult to answer this problem that they give him. And so in so doing, the Sadducees are hoping to undermine uh, Jesus and just you know, push him aside as somebody who hasn't really got anything of value to say. But this idea of resurrection, this idea of getting up again, uh, the literal Greek word that's used here, anastasis, means uh, to stand up. Anna, up, and stasis, from which we get our word stasis, means to stand. So resurrection literally means to stand up again. And when you think about it, it's not such an unusual concept, is it? You know, I don't know about you, but I've spent my whole life falling over and then standing up again. You know, wh uh, when I was a toddler, you know, <laughs> toddlers, you know, they're, they're like this. They're all over the place and then they're over. They're down, crash, ooh, scratches, bumps, bruises and so on. But they don't stay there. They get up. All of us spend our lives falling down and getting up again. Um, and not just in a physical sense. So this morning, I, um, Mim and I were sent a, a WhatsApp photograph of Mim's sister lying flat on her back in bed. Um, and the dog was lying next to her, and there was a m she was saying, oh, my, my husband and my children have gone off to church this morning, but day three of chemotherapy is taking its toll and uh, yeah so she's down we fall in lots of different ways but none of us stays down we always get back up again even if we can't get up ourselves somebody comes along and helps us up so why should we think that when we die when we fall down for the last time, that we stay down. How absurd is that? We spend our whole lives falling down and getting up again. Okay, so let's get back to the text. The Sadducees have made up this uh, story uh, where there are eight people who die. Um, a wife loses seven husbands. I mean, how unlucky is that? Um, and, and then she dies childless. I mean, it's just awful. It's just terrible. And so the question that they ask Jesus is, uh, if there's a resurrection, then which one gets her as a wife? <laughs> you want to laugh, don't you? You just want to laugh. And that's what I love about Jesus is he doesn't laugh. He's so kind. He's so gracious. He says, you can't die anymore. You can't die anymore. Why are you asking who gets her as a wife? I think the reason they're asking that question is because their focus is so on this life. They're so, what's in it for me? What can I get? You know, even the language here, you know, the woman is like a kind of possession. Who gets her as a wife, you know? It, you see, people who don't think that there's a life beyond death, where this is all there is, are in danger of 
sucking everything out of life that they can get. Now, I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing. It's great. Enjoy life. But if that's all your focus is, how selfish does that become? If you know that you're going to live forever, you've got a life that you can give away. Yeah, you can give it to other people. I can't die. My, my body's going to die, obviously, but I can't die. It's impossible. Jesus said so. So, what an absurd question. But Jesus, and, and how, I mean, this is awesome. This is, this is Jesus, like, best judo move ever. So he says, um, he says, the sons of this age marry and they're given in marriage. It's what we do here. You know, we, we make families, we reproduce, we populate the earth, you know, we work, we, and so on and so forth. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection, they, 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 won't, they won't be worried about marriage and, and all that. Those who are considered worthy. Just how, think how that would sound to the ears of the Sadducees. These are people who, above everybody else, would consider themselves as worthy. You know, we're, we're the top-notch. You know, we're the elite. We're the wealthy. We're the prestigious. We, we mix with all the, the top people. You know, if anybody's worthy of anything, we are the worthy ones. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah. Resurrection isn't for anybody. It, it, for it, resurrection isn't for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea, you know. Obviously, it's not it's your, your cup of tea. It, it, it's, it's, it's just for those who are considered worthy. And, of course, as Christians, we very quickly get to understand that what that means is those who God considers worthy, not who we consider. When we look at ourselves, we realize very quickly that we're not worthy that we all do bad things. We all, as Paul writes, all have sinned and fall short of God's standards. But that verse goes on to say, but we are justified, which means considered worthy. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus so that God might be just and the justifier, so the one who says who's worthy, of the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So whether you're worthy or not seems to hinge on whether you have faith in Jesus or not. No wonder the Sadducees didn't like what Jesus was saying. And we know as Christians that having faith in Jesus changes us inwardly. In an instant, something happens. Paul talks about us being in Christ. You know, before we became Christians, we were kind of, you know, um, bit like people sleeping in bed, fast asleep, lying flat on their back, 
um, not aware of what's going on around them, kind of dead, dead to God. Yeah? But when you become a Christian and you become in Christ, the Bible language is that God creates a new person in you. You are a, a new creation if you're in Christ. You're made alive. And it's almost as if that falling down and getting up again actually starts here and now. That when we put our faith in Jesus, that person who was asleep, they were dead to God, suddenly is made new and they stand up again. They are being resurrected. So in our spirits, our spirits are resurrected. So it's true for me to say that I can never die. Yes, my body will die, but the spirit within me cannot die because it's been resurrected. It's in Christ. It's safe. It's going to be with him forever. So it's like the spirit coming alive when you become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, is the first step of resurrection. The second step of resurrection is dealing with the body that's going to get old and it's going to, you know, it's going to die. It might get sick on the way and you're going to need a new one. And that's the second bit of the resurrection. And that's the focus of what Jesus is talking about here. You know, what's that like? So I think what we need to grasp as we kind of look at this passage is that I think Jesus is encouraging us to use something that we don't use very much our imagination see the Sadducees are not really using their imagination when they say uh, if there's a resurrection who marries who because that's like well it's just like that's what goes on now they, they, they're not thinking but it's going to be so different it's going to be so amazing <laughs> yeah so Jesus is encouraging us to use our imagination the first thing he says is you, we cannot die anymore now imagine that you are indestructible you will live forever I mean that's an amazing thing to imagine isn't it and then he says we will be equal to angels. Well, uh, angels are kind of amazing, scary, beautiful, powerful. A word that's sometimes used is glorious. When we want to say that something is amazing, it's beautiful, it's magnificent, we say glorious. So we're going to be like angels. Paul in Philippians 3 says, when we're raised again, we will, be, we will have a body that's like his glorious body. Like his glorious body. Like Jesus' glorious body. It's not going to be like this body. It's going to be different. In Matthew, he says, Matthew chapter 13, we will shine like the sun. <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, and I think this really draws us in. It gives us confidence to use our imagination um, when we, particularly when we come to reading the Bible. We use our imagination. So in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, um, we don't impart, uh, so we, we impart wisdom, verse 6, we impart to you a wisdom 
Um, although it's not a wisdom of this age right now uh, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. It's not that kind of wisdom. That's all going to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Okay? There's a hidden wisdom that God is revealing something to us. We're having to use our imaginations when we read the Bible because we, we can't see it that clearly, but it's for our glory. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be beyond anything we can imagine. God goes on to say, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, Jesus. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So we, we're beginning with our imaginations and reading the Bible, listening to Jesus, and the Spirit's helping us to understand. We're beginning to imagine something amazing and glorious and very different than what we see right now. So it's an invitation to use our imagination. C.S. Lewis said this um, in his book, The Weight of Glory. He said, the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would be strongly tempted to worship you'd certainly fall down there are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal couple of other things Jesus goes on to say. He says, sons of God. The word there for sons is really kind of sometimes translated as, as children. It really means an heir. An heir, you know. It, it's, it's, uh, um, so this is for boys and girls. Sons of God um, kind of means we're in God's family, that God has accepted us. God is pleased with us. We're secure. That, that picture that Jesus is painting for us of glory. Yeah, it's secure because we are sons of God. And then he says, we're sons of resurrection. Well, what does that mean? A little bit confusing, isn't it? Um, but our hope is based on Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And Jesus said, I will die and then I will stand up again and he did and lots of people saw it so we believe that we are sons of the resurrection in the same way that Jesus was resurrected with a new body and that scripture that we heard this morning from 1 John 3 that Janet read um says we shall be like him 
So try and imagine that. We're going to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like when he was when he stood up again, when he rose from the dead, when he came out of the tomb and he had this new body that didn't perish, it couldn't perish anymore. It was, well, he, you could touch him and he could eat and he could appear in a room with the doors locked. So, okay, it was a physical body that you could touch, but it was also had the ability to go between uh, one realm and another, or from one part of one realm to one part of the same realm. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Um, when Jesus met the, the, the two people on, on the Emmaus Road, and then after his resurrection, and they didn't recognize him because he looked a bit different, they had a meal together, and, and, and as they were eating, it says he vanished. He just suddenly disappeared. One minute he was there, and the next minute he was gone. Wow, we're going to be like him. And then the bit I really like is, and Edward preached on this uh, 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 over Easter. I love this. Um, the ascension. So when Jesus left the planet and he ascended into heaven, he didn't just vanish, which he could have done. He could have done. He could have kind of, you know, done that sort of Star Trek thing where he's kind of beam me up, Scotty. He could have done that. His body could have been zapped up in, in some way, but it wasn't. It says he was lifted up in front of their eyes. So, and, and, they, and they found themselves looking up because he was going up. And then it said, as they were looking up, it said a cloud was got in the way, so he must have been quite high and it was like, there he is. and then the he was behind the cloud, and, and then they didn't see him again. Yeah, and we're going to be like him. Um, I've had a couple of recurring dreams um, uh, since I was a child. Uh, one, one, one is I was standing on a cliff, and there was a, a, a great big wave on the horizon coming towards the cliff, and it was clearly going to you know, it was going to come over the land. And I've had this dream since I was a small child. Um, I, d I hadn't even heard of the word tsunami back then, let alone not know what that was. But another recurring dream that I've had since I was a child, and I still have it as an adult, is another experience, a bit like a tsunami, that I've never experienced. I've never experienced this before. But the dream that I have, and it's a recurring dream, I've had it since I was tiny, and I've had it as an adult, a number of times, is that I can fly. I can fly. It's quite tricky. It, it is tricky. I mean, it's, it, any of you are trying to think about doing this at home. So each time I have the recurring dream, I, it's like I've lost the skills that I had from the last dream, so I have to think about it again. And it's all about, it's all about thinking. So you kind of think yourself going up and you kind of wobble a bit you know it's like oh it's a long time since I've done this and, oh, it's like it's, and then and then you suddenly find yourself up and oh it's working I'm going and then you start to you know fall again because you and then you're off and you're, you're soaring around <laughs> and then you wake up <laughs> um, now I've never I've told very very few people that 
Um, in fact, I think I told Mim recently when I was preparing this. She said, "I don't think you've ever told me that before." Yeah, it's a recurring dream. Why, you know, why would I tell? Why would I tell her? I mean, it's just so not. Flying is such a natural thing to do when you're in your dreams, isn't it? Um, now, I haven't told my, I hadn't told my children that dream either. But for Father's Day last year, my children bought me an indoor skydiving experience. I don't know if any, anybody's done indoor skydiving, which is a place in Basingstoke where you can do it. I was a bit nervous. You know, I, I have to say, Mim had it as well as a present for her birthday, so we went together. I was a bit nervous because, you know, I like to keep my feet on the ground and this idea of, you know. So, uh, so you go along there and they've got this massive great tube, this glass sort of tube, uh, and it goes way, way up, right at this tall tower, and you're, you're in this jumpsuit, and uh, you kind of step in to this thing where the air is blowing up, and there's like a grid on the ground. So you could walk across the grid, but if you sort of lean forward, you can float on the air like this. So you're in there, and you're floating, and the instructor comes in with you, and he's giving you some hand signals to what to do with your arms and your legs. Because if you do certain things with your arms, you'll go forward. If you do other things, you'll go backwards. Um, if you kind of do this, then you sort of go up and then you go down. We didn't do any fancy maneuvers, but we just did some basic things like that. No backflips or anything. And, and then we, we came out. And in between our individual sessions, they had some proper professional skydivers would go in and they'd all be holding hands and doing their maneuvers, like practicing for when they do it for real when they jump out of the plane. It's amazing. At the end, when it was all finished, our instructor, who is a skinny guy wearing a skin-tight red suit, kind of wished it was blue, but anyway, um, it, he said, oh, I'm just going to give you a little demonstration, if that's all right, of what you can do. Oh, well, okay, this is interesting. You know, give us a bit of imagination. So he steps in, and he does the hovering and the spinning. He does a few flips. I thought, oh, that's really cool. We didn't get to do that. And then he sort of stands up, and he goes up like this, stand, like standing like this. He just goes up. And then, and we're all looking up the tube, he shoots up like this to the tube, and he gets to the top, he turns over, and he comes head first, diving down at speed. And then at the last minute, he sort of comes up and sticks onto the glass like Spider-Man. Oh, it's just so amazing. So... So when he came out, I, I only had one question for him. I said, um, how long did it take you to learn to do that? And he said, uh, about eight years. <laughs> and I thought, what would it be like after 30 years? Or maybe 100 years? Or 300 years? Or 1,000 years? What about 3 million years? How good could you get? I think God wants us to use our imagination. Some of you may ask the question, well, okay, that sounds amazing and all very glorious and mind-blowing, but does it really need to go on forever? You know, I mean, surely we'll get a bit bored of all this flying around and worshipping God and, and being nice to each other and looking, you know, sort of doing good things. Because... 
because ev everything we do in, in uh, well, this is my impression, everything we do is going to be about other people. It's not really going to be about us. It's going to be about serving other people. It's going to be about serving God. And it's going to be the most amazing, happy, joyful place you can Im possibly imagine. And I can't really imagine it. So, you know, wouldn't we get a bit bored of that? Like after a million years? <laughs> well, it's a difficult question to answer. C.S. Lewis had a go at it in the children's uh, stories, that you know, the Narnia Chronicles, so the last book in the series called The Last Battle, on the last page, the last chapter, he, the, the, the children have actually died in a, in a train crash and they, they've gone to this other world and they're there and Aslan's there. And I don't remember all the details, but it's like they say to him, well, we thought we were never coming back to Narnia. He said, oh, this is... You know, and it's like the equivalent of being where you go after you die. And he explained to them that they actually died in a, in a train crash. They'd not known that. It all happened in, a, in an instant. And he, C.S. Lewis tries to explain through um, the way that Aslan tells the children what's happening. He says it's like a story where... Th this is this where you are now. It's like the beginning of the story. And it's, the, it's, it's an amazing story. It's mind-blowing. And it's like where every chapter in the story is better than the one before. Now, can you imagine that? A million, let's take a million years. because you know, A million years where each day is actually better than the one before. It's mind-blowing. But it's also necessary. It's necessary that we have eternity where each day is better than the day before. Why is it necessary? Paul gives us a clue again. P Paul is an amazing character. Um, and I, and I'll, just, I'll just give you a very, very quick, you've heard the story before. Paul's conversion, he's on the road, he's just been trying to arrest um, Christians um, uh, uh, who are following the way of Jesus. So, so he's not doing any good things, Okay. So if there's any of you here who are not a Christian and you think I need to be good to be a Christian, Paul was trying to kill Christians, okay? So he's not doing any good things. And then suddenly, bam, a bright light. He falls to the ground like a dead man. And he hears a voice, and it's Jesus' voice saying, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, well, I've never even met you. you know, but he's persecuting the church, isn't he, which is Jesus' in effect. Um, and but then he gets up again, or at least somebody helps him to get up. So he falls down, he gets up. But when he gets up, he can't see anything. He's blind, and he's blind for three days. Now, that's his conversion experience. In that moment, I think his spirit was made new. He was a new creation. He became a Christian. He was in Christ. He was born again, whatever language you want to use. His spirit was new. His body was still the same. His body was still going to get old and die. Um, but he had an encounter, a glorious encounter with Jesus that was so glorious, it was so bright, that he was blinded for three days. So, 
this is a little aside before I get on to the thing that Paul's going to say. This is the reason why we need a new body. Because if we went in this body to glory, we'd be stumbling around. We wouldn't be able to see anything. You know, sunglasses and factor 50 would not be good enough in glory. It'd just be too bright for us. That's why we need a new body. But the thing that I was going to say, which is from, and, and the reason I wanted to use Paul as an illustration is because he had the, this experience, is um, that Paul says in Ephesians 2, this is the reason why we need an eternity. He says in Ephesians 2, I'm actually going to turn to it because it's such an important scripture. So Ephesians 2. Get this. Verse 7, is it? Uh, yeah, so here we are in verse 6. He's describing this experience of us being born again. He says, um, by grace you have been saved um, and raised up with him. So our spirits are kind of resurrected. Our bodies, are, that bit is yet to come. So you've been raised up with him, and it's like you're seated with him in the heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, so in the age to come, in the resurrection that Jesus is talking about here, in the coming ages, he, that's God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what God does for us, his kindness in saving us, what he's done for us in sending Jesus to die for us on the cross and giving us that opportunity to put our faith in him and be saved. Paul is saying these riches are immeasurable. So that's why we need eternity to get our heads around it. And we won't because we'll never get to the end of eternity. But that's why we need it, because God's riches for us in Christ are immeasurable. So we've got to be in a place where we've got eternity, and we can fly like Superman, and we can, we can be super, super, super nice to each other, and everybody's happy and laughing. And We need that to appreciate God's immeasurable riches towards us in Christ. So that's why there's going to be a lot of worship in heaven as well, <laughs> because we're going to start to realize what we are only just getting a taste of now, of how amazing God is and how amazing Jesus that Christ for us is. So, I don't know how to end. I think all of that that Jesus has said in this passage is for us for people who don't believe in the afterlife, like the Sadducees, then Jesus has got a little postscript. And he says, um, says um, that j just to let you know, uh, another reason why you can believe that the dead are raised is that uh, when Moses, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, you remember that because it's in, you, you know, you were... The Sadducees only only believed only read the the first five books of the Bible. They ignored the rest of the Old Testament. They, they didn't rely on it at all. So, but they believed what Moses said. So, so Jesus, yeah, that's just let me bring you back to Moses, and the burning bush encounter, 
And God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So three generations, three family generations, God is, I am the God of these three generations, yeah? And Jesus uses that point to tell us God is therefore the God of the living. God isn't the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And therefore, these people who have long since died must be alive. So if you don't believe anything else I've said, Jesus says, believe what Moses said. So he's talking their language a bit. Whether or not they got it, who knows. Um... How do we respond? I, you know, if, if you're not a Christian, believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him. Have a go. What's the worst that can happen? One day you might get to fly like Superman. Hey? Um, one day you might get to meet all your family again, and you'll really get on this time. And and for us now, I kind of I was a bit stuck to think, well, what what's it for us now? I mean, obviously, it's tremendous hope. You know, when I think of that picture of my sister-in-law lying in bed this morning, um, we've got incredible hope. Yeah, that's relevant now, today. I need that hope today. It's no good. You know, I need it now. So hopefully, this is giving us hope for today. So it is practical. But I also like what Jono said at the beginning. It was, he said, you know, when Andy's running for England, that could inspire us. Yeah? We could find that inspirational. So hearing what Jesus says about life in the age to come, the resurrection from the dead, and what that's going to be like, the glory and all that, and it, how amazingly perfect it's all going to be, and each day is going to be better than the... That could be inspirational for us today. And it could give us a bit of confidence to give away stuff instead of holding it on to ourselves. You know, if this life is all there is, like the Sadducees, you might kind of, oh, what, what's in it for me? What can I get? Who am I going to marry? <laughs> you know, um, it might be all about us. Whereas if We've got all this to look forward to. Hey, you know, can I borrow your car? Can I borrow your house? Yeah, sure, of course you can. Whatever, you know, you know, just take it. You know, it. it I think. Let's use our imagination. Okay? Jesus said, when you, when you pray, pray that God's will will be done on earth, here now today, as it is in heaven. Not, not we're going to make heaven like earth. We want earth to come to heaven. We want life today to start being like life to come yeah so when you fall or when your friend falls or your neighbor falls or is in trouble maybe 
we can get alongside them and we can help them up. And we can demonstrate what we believe is coming if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, that there will be a resurrection. My favorite verse in scripture on this um, is from Micah 7, which says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. You know, you imagine getting floored by your enemy. You're flat on your back and your enemy's looking at you saying, Yeah, <laughs> and I look back up at him and say, Rejoice not over me. Though I fall, I will get up again. Thank you, Father, that you have given us so many promises, so much encouragement. But above all, thank you, Jesus, that you went before us and you rose from the dead. And we can have confidence that one day we will be like you, we will be with you, and we will have an eternity to thank you for your immeasurable riches in Christ. Amen.